Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, September 19th, 2013. I will be needing to play our warning today. The segues will be abrupt. The content will be bizarre. <laughs> you have been warned. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We slow down, stop, and compare what people are saying to God's Word in context. Now, hmm. Every now and then, as I work my way through the pile that is the research that I do in producing this program, every now and then I put together an episode where where the content is just it it well how do I put it um this could cause the gears to spin and then you know smoke to come out of the machine work of your brain in this episode of Fighting for the Faith. It, and like I said at the at the opening, I mean, the segues could be abrupt. We have a Patricia King update. I've got a money-grubbing televangelist update. I've got a Cindy Jacobs update. I've got a Chuck Pierce update. I mean, if and that should be enough for the first hour. I, I, th- I honestly think that's all you can handle. And then in hour number two, I have an Adam Hushka a sermon. It's a vision sermon, but it's not like any vision sermon I've ever heard before. And I wouldn't say it's biblical or has anything to do with what scripture teaches, but hey, you know, we'll uh, take a look at that sermon today. So, you know, this is one of those days where I don't even know how to properly prepare you for what you're going to hear, except for probably uh, doing this. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. 
drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouthitosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. You've been warned. All right, so Patricia King has a very important message that she would like to share with us as a direct revelation that she's apparently received from God regarding um, World War III. I was so tempted to play our William Tapley update music for this Patricia King update music but I didn't want to confuse you all. But like I said, you have been warned. Here we go. Well, hello there. My name is Patricia King, and I have a bit of a, a breaking news report for you. And it's in regards to World War III. Ah, she's got breaking news regarding World War III. I haven't heard that it's broken out yet. There have been numerous polls and surveys done in the last week or so concerning the um, opinions of America regarding what is happening in the Middle East and the crisis. And one of the polls in particular said that one out of three Americans believe that there is a direct link between the crisis in Syria and the, the Third World War and the end of times, as is outlined in the Bible. And as I was praying into this, I felt a very strong call from the Lord, as well as a warning that I would like to share with you so that we can know what the heart of God is. You know, a lot of times when we... So God shared his heart with you regarding World War Three. Um, sense things like we can be picking up things in the spirit for example our spirits are sensitive so if there is fear in the atmosphere and if there is a consensus of opinion in the air that says that you know this is the end of times and everything's coming down the economy is going to fall nations are going to collapse if that is out there in the atmosphere you could pick it up in the spirit really but just because you pick something up doesn't mean it is the accurate word of the Lord. The place where you get the accurate word of the Lord is in his presence. I thought it was in the written word of God. You seek him as you fast and pray, as you wait on him, as you wait for that word to come into your heart. And it's absolutely critical right now that we know what the will of God is. Many people... Well, if you want to know what the will of God is, open up your Bible and start reading it. If you've never read it before, you got a lot of catching up to do. ...are saying World War Three is at hand. You can feel it in the air. You can feel the potential of that. It is breaking out. And when I was um, seeking the Lord, he said that it is the enemy's plan at this time to launch the Third World War. And we are very... So God told you that directly? Really? ...close to that happening if the enemy has his way. But the Lord also spoke very clear to me that this is not God's timing for that war. We know that... Oh, I see. God has a different timetable for World War III than Satan does. And so Satan's trying to launch his version of World War III ahead of God's plan for World War III. You sure God told you this? 
We are going to face a final war in the end times. We know that there will be wars and rumors of wars, and I'll share a scripture with you uh, shortly. But are these wars called of God? Is it at, at his initiation? Is this part of his agenda? Is it part of his plan? And he spoke to me very clearly and said, it is not on my agenda at this time for World War III to break out. If it breaks out now, it will be premature. And and of course, you know, God has no power to stop it. Will actually thwart his purposes in this hour. His purpose is to launch a full-fledged, massive move of the Spirit, such as, his, as such as history has never beheld. Yeah, your so-called Burning Man revival thing. He wants Christians everywhere to use their authority because we have the power to bind and to loose, according to Matthew 16. We have the power, the keys of the kingdom, that whatever we bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose... Yeah, the binding and loosing has to do with the binding and loosing of sins. ...in the earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, Jesus has given us his authority to execute in the earth. Whatever we do in the earth, heaven will back us up. And so we need to stand with him. What is... So we need to stand with God and bind World War III so that it doesn't happen prematurely so that the burning man can show up. He's saying... Because he will back up what heaven's agenda is. So if we're saying we bind a third world war in the name of Jesus according to God's will, then it will be bound. And that's what he's looking for right now is a people. So he needs a whole bunch of people right now to say, I bind you World War Three, And then that, that way heaven can back us up on it. What God do you serve? I mean, what a completely lame and impotent God you have. Rise up and make decrees saying there will be no war at this time in Jesus' name. There will be a people who will rise up and say that around North America, around Asia, around uh, Europe, around Australia, New Zealand, and other territories of land all around the earth, that we would rise up and, and decree that God is a fire around us. He is glory in the midst of us, and his purposes will not be thwarted. Now, Jesus um, said in Matthew 24... Verse 6, he said, you will, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. He said that there will be famines and earthquakes everywhere. But in verse 6, he says, see that you are not frightened. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Just recently, I was in Israel, and I was um, uh, standing before the Valley of Armageddon, looking over the valley and trying to to get a sense from God whether this is the time when there, there was going to be, you know, a culmination of nations coming against each other, where where uh, demonic forces would land on on. So you were basically practicing being a, a psychic sensitive type people and nations and leaders to bring forth a war that would cover the whole earth and that would culminate in that place. And I felt very strongly, in fact, I believe with all my heart, the word of the Lord is not at this time. Yes, there will be stirrings and conflicts and, 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 and wars and rumors of wars, but we must be very, very careful that we do not play into the enemy's hand at this time. 
if the Christian yeah you do, you don't want to you don't want to buy into the the false spiritual sensitivity caused by all the negativity out there that Satan's purposely causing people to feel so that he can prematurely launch World War Three and stop the Burning Man revival community who has the power to bind and to lose all of a sudden get into agreement with the devil's agenda we come into agreement and we start speaking out of our mouth words that will curse instead of bless we will set the whole earth up for a war oh no you better be careful what you say but it will be prematurely and the end will not be ushered in with a premature war it will not be ushered in with the devil's plans that can only come forth when it's god's plan and and God said, it is not the time yet. He is going uh, um, You say that he said that. I'm, I'm not sure he did. To give time for us to repent. He is going to continue to make appeal to the hearts of leaders and especially church leaders. He wants to bring purification to his body. There is a season, there is a timing still where he is making appeal to his people to get into alignment with him. Now, now, is it me or does it seem like Patricia King is really worried that, you know, if World War III breaks out, it, she might have low attendance at her uh, upcoming tent revival next month? You know, because that's when the whole burning thing is supposed to start breaking out, you know? Jeez, oh, man, that would really be terrible for her if, I mean, that whole burning tent revival thing turned out to be a flop and, and all because of World War III. I mean, ugh. You know, poor Patricia, I mean, she would end up having to play second fiddle to World War III, and that would really mess things up, you know. If we do not, then we will lose the ark. We will lose his power. We will lose the ability to, to steward like we are called to steward. Because if we give ourselves over to sin, if we give ourselves over to the enemy's plan, then he will take control over us. He will use the authority that was God given. So Satan's going to take control of us if we don't stop World War III from happening by um, speaking against it with our mouth. Okay. Now, this isn't crazy at all. To us because we're yielding to him he will use it for his purposes and so god says i'm giving my church time to repent i'm giving you time to return to me i'm giving you time to repent from sin issues from immorality yeah i think the repentance should start with you patricia and your false doctrines false prophecy false words of knowledge uh, false miracles you know things that all the false stuff that you've been spewing for years and to rise up with a voice of righteousness to get rid of all the confusion and all the conflict between you where where you will take a stand for what my word says and that is why we're not going to have a war yet because God is giving us time to repent he wants to continue to pour out his blessing and his goodness because the kindness of God is to lead us to repentance he is a fire around us he is a glory in the midst of us if third world war breaks out at this time there will be bloody massacres and unnecessary bloody massacres everywhere you don't want that on your hands do you You better quick do something stop world war three from happening stop the devil quick there will be nuclear release that will literally destroy life in the earth as we know it and yet it will not be in the will of god so it will take generations and centuries of time afterwards if you don't stop this now i mean you're going to be responsible for nuclear war
to get back to where we are. We are so close. We are so close to the return of Jesus Christ if we will walk with him in his timing and his agenda. You might be picking up in your spirit that a world war is about to break out. And that might be accurate as far as what you're picking up in the spirit. But make sure what you're picking up is from God because you can pick up in the spirit just because you feel the swirls of everything that's going around the neck. Feel the swirls. But what you get from God will be from his presence. And right now the Lord says, the Lord says, it is not time yet for World War III. Mm, Yeah, God told you specifically. And... um... I don't think you're actually hearing from God. It is not on his agenda at this time. What is on his agenda is a baptism with fire. What is on his agenda? Yeah, like I told you, she's really worried about, you know, this baptism of fire, fireman burning thing. Um, that you know, <laughs> Yeah, she might get low turnout in October if, if this do- the whole world doesn't turn around and stop heading towards World War III. Agenda is a move of his spirit that will bring alignment First of all, to his people, and then to the nations such as we've never seen before. This is the time for that. It is the time for a great awakening. It is a time for a great outpouring. And God wants you to pray. Please pray. Pray for leaders. It says in the Bible that if we will pray for kids. Okay, enough. Oh, man, what a mess. So, yeah, you know, I told you a while ago, I thought Patricia King had, had like, literally lost it. And... Well, that latest video um, makes it so that I feel pretty much like I've got the diagnosis correct. Um, she's literally lost it. You know, God apparently told her, you know, it's not time for World War Three, so you guys got to stop it quick. You know, otherwise you... <clears throat> uh-huh. Yeah. Moving along. Don't want no loving. Don't want no kissing. Don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats. Let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. Eldenero, wanna be a millionaire? Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition. That's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits. I'm a demon in addition. Give me shackles, give me pesos. Let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Wanna get me a suit? That's made out of oot and whistle for wearing it green. I got that monetary itis like speeches like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. Any sum I can in beagle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. Back collector, I'm a paper bill inspector, I'm a savage for that cabbage man to me is golden nectar. Pour that filthy lucre on me, spread those loving germs upon me. Money, 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 money. And if they ever plant trees of enormous unum, I wanna be the guy that they send out to prove them. Oh, give me money. Well, there we go. Dr. Teeth and money, money, money. Alright, so um, have you ever heard of a televangelist by the name of Todd Kuntz? Todd Kuntz, C-O-O-N-T-Z. 
uh, this is this guy's <laughs> he's slick let's just put it that way he is really slick and uh i've got a um a, a news team in uh, charlotte north carolina uh, who recently did an investigative report on this guy, and I'm passing along. Again, I apologize for the segues, but if you know anybody who's uh, fallen victim to this guy or is thinking about sending him money, 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 you need to have a chat with them and explain that God doesn't work this way. Here we go. Good evening, everyone. I'm Erica Bryant. And I'm Blair Miller. We begin with the investigation that uncovered a national television evangelist living in a million-dollar condo right here in Charlotte. He is part of a controversial group of so-called prosperity preachers who promise if you give them money, you will find financial prosperity. Our Jim Bradley spent months looking into his ministry and where the ministry is spending its money. Now, this is kind of an interesting investigative report concept here. Now, and what I'm about to say is going to be very politically incorrect, but don't they have on the Internet, you know, the list of uh, sex offenders? OK, like if you're arrested and, you know, with and you've done something untoward another human being in a sexual way and you've committed a sexual crime, then don't they have lists that, you know, that you can go on the internet and you can see if there's sexual predators living in and around your area? I'm thinking we need to have a, um, a religious predator uh, national registry and require all of the uh, uh, prosperity preachers to, you know, to, to actually have their home and residences on the national religious predator list. I, I think that would be a good idea, but we continue. You need a miracle from God. And Todd Coons, a cable TV regular who now lives in Charlotte, says giving money to his ministry is one way to get it. And their act of obedience is going to be the catalyst to creating a supernatural double portion miracle. According to the website for Kuntz's Rock Wealth International Ministries, send a double portion miracle. Wow. I mean, what, what do you need to do to get a triple portion or a quadruple portion miracle? I never heard of those. A $273 breakthrough seed, and you can expect a supernatural change in 90 days. For $1,000, he offers triple favor. But whatever the amount, Kuntz makes clear when he's on TV the offer of a miracle from God has a time limit. You heard me right. The next eight minutes, and you need to plant the $273 recovery seed. I'm only going to give you two or three minutes to respond. Quick, plant a 200 and something dollar recovery seed, and I'm, you only got two minutes to respond. Ah, what do I do? Change the channel. Respond now. Not at the end of the program. You must respond now. We've got one minute, 30 seconds. Go to the phone. Dial it's the, the theology the of promising One, financial reward for sowing financial seeds that doesn't sit well with some mainline religious teachers. Oh, that's a damnable lie. Tom Curry teaches religious ethics at Charlotte's Union Presbyterian Seminary. We asked him to watch some of Todd Coonson's teachings with us. I think that what he's doing is shameful, and I feel sad for him and for the people who give money to him. Coon seems to like to flaunt his success. On Twitter, he boasts about working out in Beverly Hills and seeing Rodeo Drive from his hotel room. And remember that $273 seed Kuntz asked for? He says the numbers just came to him. Several months ago, God gave me the single greatest miracle of my lifetime in one day. And the numbers 273 
were involved. We found a connection to those numbers. Last May, Kuntz's Rockwealth International Church paid $1.38 million for a condo on the seventh floor of this opulent building at the corner of Providence and Sharon Amity. It's called Rosewood, and Todd Kuntz lives in Unit 273. And in the basement garage here at Rosewood, we found other luxuries we were able to tie to Todd Kuntz. A stable of high-end cars worth hundreds of thousands of dollars proclaiming the favor he teaches. Like this Ferrari and this Maserati. Each, according to a luxury car dealer in Charlotte, is worth well over $100,000. And there are two BMWs, too. All of them are owned by Legacy Media, the for-profit company Kuntz owns, which sells his books, CDs, and DVDs. According to documents we uncovered, Legacy, along with Rockwealth Ministries and Church, are located in the small town of Aiken, South Carolina, about two and a half hours from Charlotte. No one answered at this storefront with the Rockwealth name and logo on the door. Legacy Media lists its address as being next door, but instead we found the Fancy Nail Spa. There, owner Trin Dang told us Rockwell's office has been shuttered and locked ever since she moved in 16 months ago. I never see. Never see anybody never. there? Yeah. Have you ever seen, have you ever seen this man? No. Next door? No. And at the address listed with the South Carolina Secretary of State for Rockwell International Church, we found only this house for sale. And neighbors who'd never seen or heard of Rockwealth or Todd Kuntz. But you've never seen a church I service just, there? I've never seen anybody there. For weeks, we left business cards, sent emails and certified letters, even a message on Twitter, and called every number we could find for Kuntz and his companies. The only number where a live person answered was a call center, where the operator immediately asked if we were calling to sow a $300 mission seed. Uh, no, I was trying to reach Todd Kuntz. Days later, we did get a phone call here at Channel 9 from Todd Kuntz. He declined to tell us how much of the money that's donated to his ministry he keeps for himself. Nor would he provide us with contact information for any donors whose finances have been supernaturally turned around. He did tell us he believes financial success is part of God's promise, and he believes he's helping people. But he refused our... Yeah, he, he believes he's helping people. He's helping himself, that's for sure. I mean, what... What was that, at least a half a million dollars worth of cars at his million-dollar condo? Well, it's not hard to figure out how much he's keeping for himself. Just start adding up all the assets. Quest for an interview saying, you're just trying to discredit my ministry. This unusual seed of 273, I declare... There's no denying his requests for money and promise of financial miracles have a powerful appeal. How to get your double turnaround miracle. Stay tuned. Is that a seductive offer for somebody who's in financial trouble? Oh, yeah. It, it really is. And you Glenda Odom should know. While she's never donated to Todd Kuntz, she estimates she's sent more than $10,000 over the years to other prosperity preachers on TV without ever seeing her financial problems turn around. And $10,000. This poor woman has sent over $10,000 to prosperity preachers. And did her finances turn around? Nope. These prosperity preachers are not preaching anything that even remotely close to what the Bible actually teaches and says. The Bible teaches us of the forgiveness of sins when by Christ on the cross, not of sowing seeds that you so that you can pad your uh, bottom line. You know what I mean? She's now troubled that Coons broadcasts many of his programs on cable channels BET and the Word Network both of which have predominantly black audiences. Do you think Dr. Kuntz is targeting the African-American community? Yes, I do. And does it make me angry? 
Yes, it does. Odom isn't alone. At the Trinity Foundation, a Texas-based religious watchdog group, founder Ole Anthony told us by Skype that Todd Koontz is just one of many TV preachers, leading the poor to believe that by donating money to them, God will make donors rich. And it's not true, and that's what I want the people to know. They're telling lies in the name of God. I can't imagine a more awful thing to do. Yet on broadcast seven days a week and his website 24 hours a day, Todd Coons continues to boldly ask for money. I'm going to urge you to place this on your bank card. Theologian Tom Curry says he believes Todd Coons's theology is a misreading of the gospel. That when I see people using the gospel of Jesus Christ to get money out of poor people for their own ends, that there is a special place in hell reserved for such folk. And they are accountable. Amen. One day. Todd Coons told me that his financial success, including the Ferrari and that Maserati, have come from what he called his secular, for-profit businesses, not his ministry. But he declined to comment when I asked him why his Rockwell Church is listed as the owner of that million-dollar condo. I've tried again in the past week to get more information from Todd Coons with no success. Jim? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's generally how that goes, isn't it? Is there anything illegal about any of this? Not that we're aware of. Rockwell Church is registered as a religious organization, and so it's not required to file any public documents about where the money goes. Yep. In other words, there's always lots and lots of money to be made in false doctrine. Uh, orthodoxy, discernment, apologetics, yeah, not so much. <laughs> I'm just happy we can pay the bills and keep doing what we're doing here. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. More of the crazy first hour continues. We have Chuck Pearson, uh, Cindy Jacobs. Don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. presents Church Day Select. Hey guys, it's Rex here, again. Now I know that all of you have been hearing about the latest fad in the church called an Emmaus Walk. 
Well, you know what I think? It's uber lame. I mean, what's so special about going on a little walk, hoping and praying that Jesus is going to show up and have an enlightenment picnic with you? It's not nearly hardcore enough. I'm starting a new fad. It's called the Road to Damascus Walk. You don't go out trying to find Jesus. He finds you. And after he's found you, he knocks you off your horse, throws you in the mud, blinds you, and then sends you on a harrowing journey to a town that you've never been to in order to find a prophet of God. It's way more awesome than an ant-infested picnic next to a scum-filled pond. Don't believe me? Well, then give it a shot. I dare you. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, time to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, let's see what we have here. Oh, yay. I've always wanted two tin cans and a string. It's one of those communicated devicey thingies. Now you can talk to your friends of a long... Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause your brain to explode. I apologize if that happens. Just pick up the pieces and stick them back in and use duct tape. Yum, duct tape fixes everything. 
Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons right there in the center of the homepage. And when you click on one of them, uh, you, you fill the information out, and then you can support us. One of them says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. And if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button. Or you can uh, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we're doing here without it. Moving along. Time for a new apostolic reformation update. Same thing we do Twin spin, if you would. Try to take over the world. The pinky and the brain. Yes, pinky and the brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. An laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. They're pinky, they're pinky and the brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled. By the dawning of the sun, they'll take over the world. They're pinky and the brain, yes, pinky and the brain. Their twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're pinky, they're pinky and the brain, 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 brain. All right, that's our new Apostolic Reformation update music, and um, we are going to start off our uh, NAR update um, with Pierce's ponderous prophecies. We do this from time to time to basically tune in to to hear (laughs) what apparently God is speaking to Chuck Pierce and the folks over at uh, uh, Global Spheres Center, the home of the glory of Zion International and Israel Prayer Garden. (laughs) And, of course, you know, Chuck Pierce is one of the 12 new apostles on the earth, and so he apparently hears directly from God, but we so far have not been able to... um, make any sense of any of the um, prophecies that he's received. And he's gotten a little bit more elaborate uh, in his prophecies. And what I mean by that is is that, I mean, th- if you were to see the video here, and you go to fi- you can find these at gloryofzion.org. You, you just click on their prophecy center, uh, prophecy revelation thing. <laughs> and um, But if you re- it's mayhem in this room. I mean, it's just utter chaos and confusion. And then the words that come out of his mouth fit what's going on in the room. But see if you can make any sense of this. And we'll go ahead and play his minstrels because he has minstrels that kind of prophetically play music along with his prophecies. So without any further ado, here's a prophecy given on September 7th of this year in Corinth, Texas by Chuck Pierce. Um, here, Here we go. Lord, our God, let your kingdom come. 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 
of my marks. I say to you, I am moving you against gates that have never been moved before. Uh-huh. All right, let me see. Here's the transcript. Hear the clock ticking, for the Lord says I have now catapulted you. Hmm, makes me wonder if Chuck Pierce is working closely with James McDonald. Okay, so the Lord says I've now catapulted you into the three years ahead. And this day, the dearest of my months, I say to you, I am moving you against gates that have never been moved before. Um, anything registering with you? I'm um, kind of at a loss. Well, we continue. And I am closing those gates that have withstood you in the past to have to come loose so they open in days ahead. I say to you, move strategically day by day and month by month until the gate that has held back your blessing opens up. Mm-hmm, yeah, so I need to move strategically day by day and month by month so that the gate that's held back my blessing will open up. Mm, yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, I'm not getting any of this. You? I... You know, the music is makes more sense than he does. I will remember this kingdom and the seed and the seed's seed of this kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here a duck, there a duck, everywhere a duck, duck. I'm old MacDonald. Yeah. So I say to you, know this, I have a kingdom that will triumph. Now, I'm serious. If you have not, never seen one of these videos, you really should look once. I mean, it's this utter mayhem in this building. Yeah, what this has to do with, like, the biblical God, I, you know, the one true God, I have no clue. I mean, from what I can tell, none of this. I mean, I I think even, like, you know, cheap um, psychics make more sense, you know? say that i am beginning a highway out of egypt and i'll redo the highway that you're on well that's good because you know i've never been to egypt and you know either by airplane or train or boat or even car so i've never been to egypt so i'm glad that you know god's going to redo the highway that i'm on because the highway i'm on ain't, ain't going to egypt or coming out of egypt you know i say now the demons that have been trafficking and even creating trafficking Is that a word? Um, hang on a second here. Um, let me read this. And 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 I say now, the demons that have been trafficking and even creating trafficking, 
Throughout the earth, I'm going to unmess their headquarters. Unmess? Is that a word? Hang on a second here. Hold on, hold on. I mean, we're supposedly getting prophecies from God right here. Uh, Dictionary.com. Uh, All right, so we're... All right, I need to type in the word unmess. Okay, unmess. No dictionary results. Hmm. Um, <laughs> you sure this? You, you sure you got a direct line to God right now? Because God's using words that don't exist. thing missing are like the uh, the tribal people you know s- dancing around a f- open fire but i i don't want to give them an idea because i think if they actually had an open flame and people were dancing around it there at this um, place the fire marshal would look very poorly on it you know what i mean Oh yeah, the mayhem is getting even more mayhemish. Yeah, I see. I just make up words. Surprise you with the leaders of this nation, for I have ways to cause them to bow their knees. And you think they're going one way, but you watch me knock the feet out from under them, and you watch them see me in a way they've never seen me before. Yeah, it's like hearing you in a way you've never been heard before. Um. Huh. <laughs> I that's about all I can handle. Did any of that make any sense? I didn't get any of that. Um I, I don't know which god he's tapped into. Um probably one of those false deities from um the ancient world that maybe is back, but uh, that wasn't that had nothing to do with the uh, one true god, you know, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That that's not God the Holy Spirit speaking. And if cuz that if that is, I mean God the Holy Spirit absolutely makes no lucid sense whatsoever. And the God that that's actually revealed in Scripture, that inspired all of the Scripture to be written, that one makes sense. You know, just look at the Bible. I mean, it's a great book. I mean, you can actually understand it, you know. Um, whereas these so-called prophecies, yeah, mm, no. All right, now, moving along in our uh, New Apostolic Reformation twin spin, we have one of our favorites, <coughs> um, Cindy Jacobs. Uh, talking about prayers to heal a shipwrecked life. Do you suffer from a shipwrecked life? Well, never fear. Um, uh, <laughs> Cindy Jacobs is here to twist a biblical passage to make you feel better. Um, <laughs> without any further ado, here is Cindy Jacobs. In the 10-minute prayer school, you know. Hi, welcome to 10-minute prayer school. On today's uh, session, we are going... Now, I got to say this. She said that so fast. It sounded, it sounded like, welcome to Demented Prayer School. Yeah, I think that's about right. To be talking about prayers to heal a shipwrecked life. Oh, is your life shipwrecked? Are you stranded on a deserted island? Do you have a, a volleyball named Wilson that you talk to? Prayers to heal a shipwrecked life. That's almost a tongue twister. Almost every person has had a trauma or situation in their life that can cause them to become 
what the Bible calls shipwrecked. No, that's actually in the Word of God. First, yeah, that's right. The the talking about ship being shipwrecked is actually in the Scriptures, and and she, she's correct, and she's going to be referencing First Timothy chapter one, starting at verse nineteen. Now let's take a look at this in context before she actually gets anywhere. Hang on a second here. I got to type this into my computerized Bible. First Timothy chapter one. All right, First Timothy chapter one. She's going to start at verse nineteen. We're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, 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 and see if we can figure out from the context of this passage. What's being talked about when shipwrecked is being discussed in verse 19, okay? So to do that, we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll start at verse 12. Paul is still doing his introductory portion of this letter, and here's what he says. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Uh, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But... I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What a great passage of scripture. We continue. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding fa- holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this, by rejecting the faith. Okay, Some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so they may learn not to blaspheme God. All right, so here we go. So verse 19, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19, talking about making shipwreck of your faith. An exa- the example is verse is found in verse 20. Hymenaeus and Alexander, how do they shipwreck their faith? By blaspheming God. By saying false things about God. Teaching false doctrine. That kind of thing. So, all right. So there's the word shipwreck there in verse 9. We now understand what it means. Let's see if Cindy Jacobs is capable of properly exegeting this text. Now, by the way, I must warn you, there's no wagering allowed while listening to Fighting for the Faith. You know, it just let's just say it this way, though, that the odds that mm, Cindy Jacobs is going to correctly, rightly handle this text, you are not good. <laughs> not if you're if you're saying, oh, come on, Chris, she can handle this correctly. I'm going to bet, you know, a, a 15 cents that she's going to rightly handle this text. Yeah, you're going to lose your 15 cents, dude. We continue. Timothy 1 9 says, Having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwrecked. In other words, there are things that can happen to you in your life and in your belief system in faith, faith towards God, that will actually wound you and cause you to become shipwrecked. What happens in a shipwreck? You lose your abundance. I mean, mean, all she had to do was read one more verse. All she had to do was go into verse 20, and she would have gone, oh, whoa, that's what that's about. 
And she didn't do that. You know, it, it, it destroys your life. At times, even causes death. So this biblical analogy is a very, very powerful one. A shipwrecked life is a life full of bitterness and trauma. Here's some symptoms. Yeah, no, in the context, the shipwrecked faith is one that happens when you blaspheme God the way, you know, by teaching falsely about him like you're doing right now. Number one. People that are shipwrecked complain of the hypocrites in the church. Listen to what people say, and you will begin to know after a while that this person has had situations in their life that have stunted their spiritual growth. Often their spiritual growth will be stunted. And I can make an analogy of this. Even people in the natural, there's some people that the best time of their life was maybe the 50s or 60s. So in some ways, their hairstyle never changed since that time. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) The sex has nothing to do with people stuck in the 50s or 60s and having bee bonnet hairstyles. For women, you know, the way they wore their makeup, they never changed because that was the best time of their life. And they want to somehow hold on to that life rather than moving on with the times, moving on with fashion or things like that. But there are things that happen. Or if you talk to them, they can't seem to move on past the trauma. So if you are living in the 50s and 60s, have a bee bonnet hairstyle and those uh, horn rim glasses and you're wearing, wearing polyester, you may have a shipwrecked faith. I mean... Who knew? I, I just, I, at least now we have some objective way of spotting somebody that have maybe shipwrecked. <laughs> I just, <laughs> why, why does anybody take this person seriously? What has happened to the church that people think that Cindy Jacobs is a, is somebody who can offer us any, anything substantive that can help us as Christians. I just, oh man, I got to stop or I'm going to blow a gasket. You know, it's just the craziest thing I've ever heard. All right. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be heading back to Montana to narrate church and their vision weekend. The, talking about the daily that leads to the dream. I uh, Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseboro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. 
Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Yeah! Hooray! That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, try to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, Let's see what we have here. Oh, yay. I've always wanted new teeth. Oh, sorry, dear. I seem to have accidentally wrapped my spare dentures. <laughs> Here's your real present. Oh, look. It's a glow stick. We all know how much you like Star Wars, so we got you one of those lightsaber thingies. Oh, thanks. Ow. Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. <laughs> you know, listening to a City Jacobs <laughs> segment, I mean, could tempt you to, you know, to take up drinking hard liquor. I mean, <laughs> But don't fall into that temptation. I'm just saying. Whew. <laughs> silliest thing I've ever heard, man. All right. Let's do this right. We're heading back to Helena, Montana. So hold on. Here we go. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon? <laughs> I always have to put a question mark nowadays. Comes to us via Narrate Church, Helena, Montana, Adam Hushka presiding. The name of the sermon is Vision Weekend 2013, The Daily Leads to the Dream. Yeah, I don't know what that means either. So, um, <laughs> you, you, you know, you just got to hear it. You just got to experience it. So I'm not even going to try to explain what it is that you're going to hear because I couldn't explain it to you anyway. But here we, um, let me go ahead and kill the music. Here we go. Here's Adam Hushka and Vision Weekend 2013. 
Hey everybody, this is Caleb, part of the Narrate team. Today, Adam looks at one principle, a principle that is essential for making your dreams into a reality. Dreams like better relationships, finances, and even where you're at spiritually. Is Adam Hushka some kind of a prosperity preacher? Your dreams of finances, relationships, and whatever? Where in the Bible does it teach these principles of of achieving your dream. I, we continue. What if making those dreams a reality are born out of our daily habits? Today, Adam explains. Uh, if this is your first vision weekend with us before, uh, welcome. Let me just start by saying that, you know, it's my first vision weekend with you for sure. And I'm hoping <laughs> that it's my last. In our minds, the, the best part is really yet to come that for us, uh, the, the, what we'll do at 1.30 this afternoon at Spring Meadow Lake, Spring Meadow Lake is, is such a fun experience where this year we'll, we'll baptize five people and each of their stories uh, are incredible and you'll hear each of their stories individually over the course of the next couple months. Uh, but we'd really invite you to come enjoy a mostly raw hamburger with us and and watch some people uh, be baptized. It, it's It's really a fun experience. And the other thing about this weekend that's unique is we, what you're going to pick up on around here in the next couple of months is we're kind of trying to shift the way we interact with baptism. And so while we're going to baptize five people this morning, there's another three or four of them that we're in process with. And we just want to make sure that, uh, that, that, we're, that we're able to walk into that moment with their, that person being fully confident in what they're doing. And so that is, is, there's going to be more of this coming, and we'll talk more about that in, in the weeks that follow and the months that follow. Uh, the other thing is, if, if this isn't your first Vision Weekend, if you've been with us for one before or maybe several before, I think you'll find that this weekend's a little bit different than Vision Weekends in the past because in the past we've spent a lot of energy looking back and going, here's all these things God did, and really quantifying them and looking at them very specifically and then looking ahead and going, okay, here's these, I can't remember what was it last week, last year, like six initiatives, and last year it was uh, that was to the extent that we needed two weekends to do that. And this weekend we're going to do a little bit differently. Uh, those initiatives, they're certainly there, but we're going to tease them out in the months that follow rather than just kind of back up the dump truck right here. And in particular, because this morning, there's really just one, one principle that I want to explore this morning, one, one idea, really one question that I want to get you noodling on. It's, it's a question that some, some of you know, back in August, I had the privilege of going back to Harvest, and they had asked, like, will you just come share the story? Will you come talk about Narrate? And as I prepared to do that, it, it just occurred to me that really as I contemplate all of our uh, successes all of our failures, everything we've tried to do, everything we've tried to do and fail, everything we've tried to do and succeeded, all of the, the stories that are represented in many of your individual lives. If I, as I just kind of tried to put my head around the last four years at Narrate, there was really this one principle that rose to the surface. And so it's, it's that principle uh, in the form of a question in keeping with our culture that I want to explore this morning. And to be really honest, lest you think that I, I feel like I've got life figured out and, and you don't, it's a principle that I most certainly didn't understand or appreciate prior to moving here way back in 2009, way back before we started this thing, this movement, this church called Narrate. It's a principle that, that I don't even know that I could begin to appreciate it. And I think part of the reason for that is prior to this, prior to all that we've experienced here together in the last four years, I had really only experienced three church cultures growing up in Billings. I, I was raised in kind of a neat... You know, I think of me as old school, but I thought the job of a pastor is to preach the word. I, these guys ramble on, uh, rambling on about whatever I don't know. I mean, this is weird. Catholic community, and so that was a good experience for me. 
But it was really at 17 years old where I started to engage Jesus. And, and, and since then, I really had been, prior to Nerite, I've only been a part of three churches, an active part of three churches. The first one was a place called Faith Chapel. And I know that doesn't mean a lot to those of you not from Billings, uh, but, but Faith Chapel is not only the biggest church in the state, in my opinion, it's the best. It's an incredible church. I, I walked in the door there in the mid-90s, and, and I wasn't there because I was seeking after God or truth or Jesus. I was there because I was seeking after the person I was with, if you know how that works. Um, and, and yet I was very quickly just amazed. I, I, I pulled into the parking lot. I'd never been to church before where if you didn't get there early, you couldn't get a spot. That was its own experience. And then as, we, as you walked to the front door, there were these very warm, friendly, normal-looking people who gr- greeted us. And they didn't creep us out and they didn't kiss us, but they were just friendly and they didn't shove things at us. We just kind of made our way in. And then when I got into the lobby of this place, I, I'd never been in a church like this. I've been raised in this small-town Catholic church, but the, 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 it, was, it was new. It was modern. It was clean. It wasn't ornate. It wasn't over the top, but it, but it was just pristine. And I would later learn that Part of the values around there were that people live messy lives, that that our lives are chaotic. And so one of the ways that they try to create experiences for people is they feel like the bathroom should be uh, pristine, that there shouldn't be any stains on the sink, that there shouldn't be any garbage on the floor. And so the place is just immaculate. Went into the auditorium and I'd never, was like, this is church, where are the wooden pews? It were, they were these comfortable chairs. And what I began to experience over um, uh, multiple years was incredible music professional quality music and then preaching that was, I had no context for this. I didn't watch TBN. I didn't go to church. I had never seen anything. That is not to say that Stan is like TBN, but I had never seen anything like this where I could actually relate to the message, even if I wasn't um, very interested in the Bible and Stan Simmons, who will actually be here in November, which will be a real privilege for us. uh, His teaching was incredible. And as a high school kid, I started inviting friends and family. And it wasn't like, hey, like, come meet Jesus. That wasn't it at all. It was like, you've got to see this. This is amazing. This is so helpful. I can still remember on my graduation day, despite the fact that I would make not very good decisions later that day, that going to church that morning was a high priority of mine. And so that was one experience I had. The second church experience that I'd had uh, was really the student ministry at Faithy, which is the grandma church of this place. And when I stepped into that role as an intern, that was Vern, who was here a few weeks ago, uh, who planted Harvest, who mothered this place. That was his final year, his 10th year of student ministry at Faithy. And again, I didn't go to youth group. I, I was confirmed at 17 years old. I did the CCD thing. When I, my, my, my second youth group was my first day on the job as an intern. I had never seen anything like it. It was a Wednesday night, and it wasn't like a few kids drug there by their earlobes. There were a couple hundred students that came flooding through the door. And it was this diverse group of students, student body president at senior high to some of the better athletes to just normal people like the rest of us. I mean, it was this broad uh, spectrum of students. And again, they, they, they weren't reluctant to be there. They were excited to be there. And I quickly learned why, because they had this student band that, that was incredible. Vern's preaching was insane. And if you, you know, preaching God's word really isn't that hard. You know, all you got to do is, you know, find a text and start reading it. You know, I, while he's doing that, I think I'm going to you know just flip through my Bible and see if I can find something to preach on real quick here. You know, I, just, I don't know what he's talking about. The job of the pastor is to preach the word. I mean, I feel like this isn't a sermon. I don't know what this is, but I'll, I'll see if I can find something here to plug in. Hang on. You could hear some of the things he got away with saying to high school students. You wouldn't believe it, but he, he was so funny and so over the top and so helpful. And then their small group leaders really sealed the deal. 
And what I learned is that these guys weren't just there to, to play Barbies with students. They weren't just there for the free pizza or to make friends. Like the, the leaders there, many of them, this wouldn't be the only time in the week they would see the students. That they really were living life with their students. In fact, that year there was a gal whose parents died in a fire. And, and, and to watch these leaders just huddle around this gal and process life with this gal, it was incredible. The, the third church experience I had was, uh, was at Harvest. And having the privilege of being a part of that thing starting up in the very early months, that was its own insane experience. And again, I know that you don't, probably many don't know the specifics, but let me just kind of unpack this rather quickly. It was planted in, I think, 99 or 2000. I forget which year. I should have figured that out in advance. Uh, the first. All right, all right. Here's what I'll do Luke chapter 16. I'll, I'll just start at verse 1 and, you know, work through it here. Then this is a tough passage here. Let's take a look here. Uh, see, this isn't very hard to preach God's word. Here's all you got to do. You got You need a text, and then you preach it, or you teach it. You know, you read it, and you kind of work through it. You know, okay. So this this is a story of Jesus, Luke chapter sixteen, verse one. He also said to the disciples. So this is Jesus talking. There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. and I'm ashamed to beg. So I've decided what to do. So So that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. And then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said, Take your bill and write eighty. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. The one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is uh, in that which is another's, who will give you that which is that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so then the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed Jesus, and they said to him, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Well, now that's a tough passage. I mean, what would you do with something like that? Well, the first thing I'd look for is I'd want to look for the gospel. Where's the gospel in all of this? Because, I mean, you clearly have. Remember Tullian Division's uh, article about the two words, you know, law and gospel. Well, I hear that God hates, you know, that there's certain things that God hates, justifying yourself before him, exalting yourself uh, among him and you can't serve God in money. So there's there's an idolatry theme in here um, of not rightly handling the wealth that is entrusted to you. Um, and so, you know, you got a lot of law in here that you can really go after uh, somebody with, but then where's the gospel? Well, the gospel is actually in here too. It's kind of hidden a little bit. 
Um, it's hidden in the sense that you take a look at this shrewd manager. And what he does, he finds all of his master's debtors, and he reduces the debts, basically knowing that, um, you know, at this point, he's making his master look forgiving, looking his ma- looking, making his master look generous and forgiving and, you know, gracious and kind, right? And so, you know, here you got him reducing all of these different debts that are owed to his master. And it says the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Right. Yeah. See, the gospel works that way because God does want to be known as gracious, forgiving, and kind. Yeah, I just I, I picked a passage. There you go. There's one right there. What you know, we there's so much you can do with a passage like that. It seems like a perfectly good one. You know, maybe Adam Hushka should, you know, just, you know, go back to what he's supposed to be doing as a pastor and preaching the word. I don't know what he's doing right now. I feel like this is just a waste of time. I'm about ready to pull out the solitaire app on my iPhone. Preview service, there were over 300 people there. So like before they even said like, hey, we're a church. Uh, by the first Christmas, there were seven or 800 people there. By the end of the first year, they were averaging 1,000 people on the weekend. I know it's not all about numbers, uh, but it's certainly an indicator. Uh, I, after coming on staff there in the spring, what I realized is there were never any conversations about, like, how are we going to get people here? It was like, where are we going to put people? Do we need to buy more folding chairs? Because we're using every folding chair that this school has. And kids were doing classrooms in these little nooks because there were so many kids. By the end of the third year, they, they owned about 40 acres of land and had built a multi-million dollar facility. By the end of the fifth year, they'd planted this incredible church called Journey in Bozeman. And so what I'm getting at there is when I came here to Helena, I personally had absolutely no appreciation for what we're going to talk about this morning the question that I want to ask, the principle that I want to bug you to think about. See, some of you, some of you, you're those types of people that when you touch it, it turns to gold. You know those people? Like, like we've been, we've been trying to lose weight for a couple of years and you all of a sudden got motivated to lose weight and in three months you lost 25 pounds. Like, like we've been golfing for a decade and you say, hey, I'd love to go golfing with us. And the second time you come, you beat us. See, see, if you're one of them, you don't identify as one of them. That's kind of the way it works, because if you do, you're an egotist and we don't like you. But, 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 but you don't know if you're one of them, but the person you're with knows if you're one of them. You know those people? Like, like they get a job, and pretty soon they're at the top of the food chain. You get a job, and I mean, you've been in the same job for a decade. They go to school, and they can kind of do whatever they want. And they I, Again, I, I don't know what he's doing here. The job of the pastor is to preach the word. I mean, this is just rambling. You get straight A's, and you go to school, and you study your heart out, and you get a C in biology. Do you know these people yet? See, uh, for the rest of us, those of you that, like, whatever you touch, it turns to gold, there's, there's something that we need you to know. And that is that uh, we hate you. <laughs> that's, that's really the easiest way to put it. And really, this, this idea that I want to explore this morning, it, it's for the rest of us. It's for those of you that feel relegated to average. Those of you that feel like no matter how hard you work, you'll always be middle management. Those of you that feel like you were just not given enough to be successful and the most you can hope for is survival. This morning, I, 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 what I'm hoping is, is, is that if, if, if you'll wrap... What does this have to do with God's word? Wrap your brain around these principles, which are so embedded in what God has been saying for thousands of years. If you'll grab hold of these principles, I think what it'll do is give you handles. 
And I think what it'll allow you to do is not move through life feeling like a victim, not move through life with self-hatred and resentment and all those things that, that come with looking at everyone else who is successful and thinking you could never be successful because of this, 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 and this, but instead to begin to understand how you can actually experience some success. Now, listen, I'm not going to suggest... So the Bible is going to tell me how I can experience some success. What? This morning that all of us have equal talents. Jesus established that pretty clear. There's 10, there's five, and there's one. Like um, most of us, uh, we're, we're not 10 talent people. Some of you are, the rest of us aren't. But what I do think we can do is we can grab hold of some handles where we no longer feel ashamed of who we are. And instead we understand how, how to move from where we are to where we want to be. And for those of you, you are the whatever you touch, it turns to gold people. And like, listen, you, you move from where I am to where I want to be. The, the Bible actually teaches this. You already don't know that. We, we know that about you. Like that, that's just part of, that's part of who you are. You wouldn't be like that if, if you were one of those people. But what might be true for you is that you're facing a new situation a new occupational challenge, a new academic challenge, a new physical health challenge. There's this new thing. You're staring at it. You're at this new area of life, this, this new season of life, and you're not so sure that you can do it. In fact, you're intimidated. And what you're starting to think, because this is what happens, is you're starting to think, I was able to do that business. I was able to get that degree. I was able to get that job. I was able to, to, to turn that relationship because I had talent in that area. But I don't know if I have talent in this area. I think what you're going to find this morning is it wasn't because you had talent in that area and you don't in this one. See, I think there was an ethos by which you lived your life. And for you, as soon as I say it, you'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know that. But what I'm hoping happens for you this morning is that you can grab hold of it and reclaim it and, and exercise it once again because I, I know you've done it before. See, the question is this. How do we move from the vision to the reality? Like, how do we move from, from what? What are you talking about? How do we move from the vision to the, where does the Bible teach this? And what we want to be true of our relationships, what we want to be true of what's on the scale when we step onto it, what we want to be true of our occupation, of our education. How do we move from what we want to, to where we want to be? Like, we all, we all have these moments. We go for long drives, we go for runs, we watch an inspiring movie, we read an inspiring book, we listen to a song, and we have these kind of hormonal moments. I don't know what all the hormones are involved, but I know it's scientific, and we go like, I'm going to do this. And suddenly you feel like you can take on Everest. And you have all these ideas and all these visions. So how do I move from a hormonal, visional moment to reality? This is what you're going to preach about on a Sunday morning? How do I move from there to reality? I was thinking this week about Legos. Because you get the both end with Legos, right? You get the, the box with the fulfilled vision, this incredible airplane, this neat tractor, whatever it is. But when you open it, you just get pieces but inside with the pieces is the instruction manual to how to get from the not to the have. I think that's what I want to talk about this morning is what's, what's, what's the manual? How do we get from, Adam, I really want to go back to school. Adam, I really want to turn my marriage from D minus to A minus. Adam, I really want to engage in Jesus and actually experience him personally. How do we move from that to where we want to be? And here's really the question that I want to pose, and we're just going to visit from a bunch of different angles this morning. It's simply this. What if the daily leads to the dream? Like, what if it's the daily? What if the daily leads to the dream? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, why do you think God bothered, you know, to inspire all of these biblical authors to actually 
you know, write the biblical text so that he can reveal himself in it. I mean, it's like God was wasting his time. I mean, the church isn't interested in hearing about God, you know. That leads to the dream. Because see, sometimes I, I know what happens to me, and I guess I'm suspecting it happens to you too, is we get to living for our dreams so much that what we forget is our dreams are born out of our daily habits. And we would like to believe that some people are phenoms and other people aren't phenoms. We would like to believe that God is a God who takes something from like non-existent to existent overnight. And yes, God can do that, but it's not very common in the scriptures. What's more common is a daily grind. What John Maxwell says, uh, that, 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 that our life... And what we, what we, where are all of these daily grind examples in the Bible of people who went, had a hormonal dream moment, vision moment that in the daily grind were able to make their dream happen? What? Who are you referring to? Uh, what we accomplish, they're the result of our daily habits. And so this morning, the, the handle that I want to give you as you begin to try to wrestle with these desires is, is what does it look like to flesh those dreams out in some daily disciplines, to realize that in your daily habits? And to be sure, this is something that the scriptures talk so much about. I, I think my favorite place is in the book of Proverbs. And what I love about Proverbs, for those... It really, the Bible talks so much about this. I, I, you know, like, could you give me a list of passages? I'd like to see that list. If you aren't familiar, is, is Proverbs is written by uh, the man who we're told is the smartest man to ever live, and yet his life is a wreck, which is a challenge to all of us, that, that knowledge isn't the sum total of the game, that there's more to it than that. And yet Solomon, he absolutely had his finger on this, princip- uh, on this principle. In Proverbs 13.4, this is my favorite instance of this, Solomon says this, A sluggard's appetite is never filled. Now, there's a couple of things I think we need to notice here. Uh, oh, really? Okay. So this is, this is a proverb against the sluggard versus the diligent. Okay. So are you a sluggard? You know, this is what this proverb is talking about. The sluggard, right? The person who sits there and goes, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'm tired. I don't really want to work hard today. I, you know, I, I'm just going to order some pizza and sit here in front of the television. That's what this is talking about. The soul of the sluggard craves and then gets nothing. Why? Because they're not doing anything. The soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So where's the big vision in here again? I, well, let's see what he says. Uh, because for me, they, they push against the way I stereotype lazy people or me when I'm being lazy. Like notice that sluggards, which, which is simply a lazy person, notice they have dreams. They have ambitions. In other words, those businesses that fail... That- no, no, no. It doesn't say they have ambitions. It says they crave. They crave things. So a sluggard, you know, they sit there and go, oh, man, I crave something. This is not the same as having a hormonal vision thing. The people who were leading them, they also had visions and dreams. Those people who would apparently don't accomplish anything, whose relationships are a wreck, however you want to fill that in, it's, it's not that they don't have vision. They do. In fact, they have so much vision that, that, that it's never satisfied. A sluggard's... What? A sluggard has so much vision it's never satisfied. You're getting all that from Proverbs 13, verse 4a. His appetite is never filled. You know what? This is so true, isn't it? Like there's evidence of this all over our lives. It, it's the canoe in the backyard that we've used once, right? 
It, it's all that weightlifting material that we have in the basement that doesn't get touched. It's those funny ab machines that we have 30 different versions of. It's, it's the 60 credits but no degree. It's all the books that we have that we've never read. It's the 14 Bibles that we own. Like, right? like, it's, it's not that we don't have dreams and desires and ambitions. It's that there's a difference between having them and realizing them. See, I, I love what Solomon says. A, a sluggard's appetite is never filled. And then look at the way he finishes it. But the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. See, this is like the most uh, anticlimactic thing I could have ever said to you. Because when we start talking about the one thing that can kind of push us into success, we're like, okay, what's the one thing? Like, I'll wear pink shoes. I mean, what is it? What do I got to do? But it comes back to this really boring, really monotonous principle. It comes back to this idea of what uh, Solomon calls diligence. See, I think there's some importance to just just contrasting here. Are, Are some people people of vision and others aren't? Do some people want to have great marriages and others don't? Do some Christ followers want to grow in their relationship with Jesus and others don't? Do some people want to lose weight and others don't? Do some people want to go to college and others don't? No, the answer is no. See, we live in this time, and, and if you study leadership, you know this, where we celebrate visionary leaders so much. We celebrate the creatives. We celebrate those people who dream up dreams, and they have ideas, and they fulfill those ideas. And don't get me wrong, I think some people are more visionary than others. But Solomon seems to suggest, listen, all of us lay awake at night and we have ideas. We all have instruments under our bed that we purchased with the full intentions of learning how to play. Yeah, I don't see Solomon writing about that. Play, and we never played them. We, we, we all have aerobic equipment that we've never used. We, we all have them. And to Solomon, the answer is what? It's, it's, it's diligence. It's the daily. In 10.4, he, he says it similarly. And if you really want to grab hold of this idea of diligence in the Proverbs, it could be such a fun study for you. There's some great resources on Google where you can topically search Proverbs. But listen to what he says in 10.4. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Right. Now, I need to say something here. Remember Tulian Tavigian's article about the two words of the Bible, the law and the gospel? What are you hearing? Law. Now, this is an important distinction. Proverbs, really, you need to think of it as a book of wisdom that really is only for Christians. And what I mean by that is this, is that it's really law, okay? But it's law in the sense, in in this sense, that it shows us what the sanctified Christian life looks like. And Proverbs begins with an important statement that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, you know, just applying these things to your life because you want things to be better is to miss the whole point of Proverbs. Proverbs really is how a Christian who has faith lives out their life, a sanctified Christian life. And so in the technical sense, this is third use of the law. And you're going, third use? What's, what do you mean third use? Well, there's three uses of the law, rightly used. Okay? First use is the use used by the government okay, to curb evil in society. So the, the government has been given the sword by God to have authority to suppress and punish evildoers. Okay? So that's first use. That's not the church's use. That's the government's use. Second use of the law is the primary use of the law. It's to show us our sin. Shows us that we are dead in trespasses and sins, that we cannot save ourselves. We are not righteous and we are in need of a savior. That's the primary use of the law. Okay. Third use of the law 
is the use that shows us what a good work is. So Proverbs is this type of book. It shows us what a good work is. What is a good work as a Christian? Well, you want to look, take a look at this. So the sinful thing is to be a sluggard, to be somebody who is lazy. Okay, Why? Because while well, you're only serving yourself, you're not loving and serving your neighbor. Somebody who's diligent is diligent in their vocation. They're diligent in serving and caring for their neighbor, right? This is what's going on in this passage, but this, all of this is lost on Anamushka. Apparently, you know, I don't know if this is going to be all that we're going to get of Scripture, but we'll see. Let's continue. I think Dave Ramsey, in his explanation for diligence, nails the heart of Proverbs on this one. Uh, he, he defines it this way. He says, diligence is excellence in the ordinary. See, we all want to be excellent on Visionary Weekend, we all want to be excellent when the lights are on and all the attention's drawn. No, no, no. That's, that's, no, no. Solomon's going, listen, some people have and some don't. Some, some, some people translate those dreams and others don't. And it has nothing to do with the presence of those dreams. It has to do with what they do in their daily routines. Jim Collins, and you've heard this before, but Jim Collins rather famously said that, that the signature of mediocrity is chronic inconsistency. It's the daily leads to the dream. Yeah, uh, all these people you're quoting are not found in the Bible, especially Jim Collins. I mean, he's basically a management guru, good to great guy. Yeah, okay. Jesus, so Solomon calls it diligence. I, I think Jesus calls it faithfulness. And don't get me wrong, I understand that faithfulness involves believing some things about the cross, absolutely, and our sin and the blood. But sometimes we make faithfulness. Yeah, you might want to just not brush that stuff aside. You might actually want to preach on it. It's kind of important. It's this really abstract thing that, that is completely removed from everyday life, and yet that's not the way you see Jesus use the word. There's this, a couple instances in the New Testament where Jesus is talking to people, and, and, and they're, they're wrestling with the things we're wrestling with. Like, why do some have ten talents, and some have five, and some have one? And he says, listen, it, it, that's not the issue. He tells a story. Um, what passage is this again from the Gospels? This doesn't sound right. As if to say, like, that part of the equation is outside of your hands. You don't have control what family you came from. You don't have control over your economic status. You don't have control over your, your biology and what talents you're born with. But listen, you do have control over this. And in each instance, what he commends is, is who? It's the people who are faithful in the daily, listen to Matthew twenty-five, twenty-three. Uh, he says simply, this, he's speaking to one of these guys, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. You've been faithful with the little stuff. Yeah, that's out of context. Matthew 25, by the way, we have uh, th- uh, some eschatological um, parables uh, being preached by Jesus. We have the parable of the king of the brides, uh, the the virgins and their lamps. We have the parable of the talents, and then we have the sheep and the goats. Okay, so this is an eschatological parable. And uh, Matthew 25, I'll start at verse 14. For it, the you know, will be like the man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Now, here's the deal. A talent is a measure of money. It is not something that, you know, a skill, like, you know, I have the talent to be able to uh, play basketball well. That's not what this is talking about. Talent is like 100 uh, pounds of of gold or something like that, right? 
And so uh, then he went away. So he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, for a long time, the master of these servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, this is really important here. Notice that uh, that the guy leaving on the journey didn't give him instructions. He just gave him the money, you know. And, uh, you know, he gave them each according to their ability, and then he went away. And what did they do? Well, the ones who trusted in their master knew that this was his stuff. They immediately took their master's money and put it to work. They did business in the name of their master, and the talents made more money. But the one guy, he totally did not trust or believe in his master thought evil and wicked of him and so he took the talent and dug it in the you know put it in the ground and hid it now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them and he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more saying master you delivered to me five talents here i've made five talents more his master said well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now he who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you you scattered no seed and... So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, here is what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents, for to everyone who has will be given more, and and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now notice here in this passage, Nowhere will you see anything in the context talking about having great visions about the future and how to get to that vision by being diligent, stuff like that. That's not what this passage is about at all, nor is that anywhere mentioned in the context. Hushka is um, engaging in um, some slippery stuff here. You know what I mean? We continue. The daily stuff, like Tuesday morning stuff, like off-season stuff. I, I, I digress with a Peyton Manning story, and I apologize, but I was thinking this week after watching his masterful game on Thursday night that it's so easy to celebrate a guy who throws seven touchdown passes and ties an incredible record. But here's the deal. like He gets to do that with the lights on and the people in the crowd about 20 days a year. But to accomplish that, there's these other 345 days where he's excellent. And we all want him to be a phenom. But what if he's not? What if he's faithful, as Jesus says? What if he's diligent? Jesus tells another story in Luke, uh, and it's kind of a harsh story. I've always thought of it as harsh. And this summer I was running on Mount Helena. And I've been to Israel a couple times. And and those of you that have been there know that 
Like Mount Helena, there's a lot of similarities in the landscape and the way that it would feel, the dryness of the ground, the rock in the ground, even, even the mountainous feel to it. And so I was running on one of those days where it hadn't rained in a couple of weeks and it was really dry. And for whatever reason, I, I was thinking of Matthew 9, 62. I, I'm just trusting it was a Lord thing. But, but Jesus says this here, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back. Uh, again, no context. See, of course, you, you know, like we've got to kind of picture one of those kind of early 20th century type plows. Uh, it was pulled by an animal or a person or something of those sort where you stood on it and had some kind of wooden handles. And, and I always thought that the idea was, you know, in my um, holiness background, the idea was, well, if you look back, you like create a less than straight row. I don't think that's the issue at all. I think the issue is, oh, boy. I've been at this for two hours, and how much ground have I covered? This is horrible. I think what Jesus is saying is, because when you picture putting a plow in Mount Helena, you can picture, like, before you've even put the blade in the ground, you've probably worked for a couple hours, and now you're trying to get this animal to cooperate and all that goes into it, and you've covered about 10 feet. And Jesus is going, listen, if you're going to be preoccupied with the little details, if you're going to be preoccupied with how little you've accomplished so far, it's going to be real. Yeah, i got to add the context. Have to do it in order to clean this up. Luke chapter 9, context, 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 verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, well, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, and the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, oh, Lord, let me go and first bury my father. And and Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my house. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Yeah, this isn't in the context of making your dreams come true, now is it? This is in the context of following Jesus. Big difference. Really hard to live the kingdom life because you're going to put your hands to the plow and you're in it for the long haul and it's going to be hard work. And Jesus says that that's, that's called faithfulness. Jim Collins and, and some of you've heard this story before, but, but I, I just so feel like it's central to who we are as a church. Jim Collins tells a story in, in a book called great by choice. And, and, and I would say without hesitation, it's the best book I've read since I lived in Helena. And, and he tells a story in there about two explorers. Yeah, not the Bible, this book by Jim Collins. His job is to preach the word, not Jim Collins. One of them by the last name Scott, one by the last name Amusen. Each of them, in October of 1911, were making final preparations to lead their respective teams of five or six people, I believe. I can't actually remember how big the teams were. But the goal was to be the first people in the modern era to reach the South Pole. Now, what's fascinating about Scott and Amusen is one of them w- would make it to the South Pole 30 days before their counterpart and would arrive back at home, back at the home camp, which was around 700 miles one way, the exact day that they planned on getting back. The other group, of course, would arrive 30 days after the first, and as soon as they turned for home, would quickly find themselves in a battle for their lives, and it would be a battle that they would eventually lose. They would all die out there. And part of his research on this business principle involves them because he asked the question, why was one group so successful and the other wasn't? And you know something? Some of our cliche things, they don't hold true. Each of them came from similar uh, economic conditions. Each of them had the respective backing of their respective 
empires, countries. Each of them had any number of different, they they could have used whatever technology they want. Money was literally no issue. Training was no issue. Each of them could have trained in any number of different ways. Each of them had incredible backgrounds along those lines. But one of the things he notes in his book, he unpacks several different answers to the question. But one of the major ones is that one of the groups, they decided that as they were going, they would simply go as far that day as weather allowed. And so if it was a pretty nice day, which is a relative statement when we're talking about the South Pole. Uh, but if it was a nice day, there were, there were days where they would cover 35 miles in a day. They, they, they would just go for it. But then uh, there were other days where the weather was so bad, they, they didn't even leave their tents. There were some days where they got going and the weather turned, and so they just went five or six miles. Uh, other days uh, where, where the weather was bad initially, and by noon it was okay, and so they went several miles. One group did that. The other group pre-decided before they ever left that they were going to go 20 miles every single day. No questions. And so there were days where they were quitting way too early. And there were days where they were out there way too long. And in fact, as they got close to the South Pole, there was an instance uh, where the weather was so perfect. And these guys decided that that, that, that they they should keep going. And their leader said, no, 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 we just hit 20 miles. And they had no idea. Apparently, they were coming at it from different angles. They had no idea where the other team was in respect to the race. And there was almost a mutiny. The guys almost left their leader behind because they said, this is stupid that we're following this dumb rule when, in fact, we could get past because we could easily go 35 miles today and we could get there in a couple days. And who knows, they're probably taking advantage of the weather. And he said, no, we're not going. And there was a little bit of a standoff. And they trusted him. And they stopped at 20 miles. One of those groups was 30 days before the other one. One of them arrived home on the exact day that they thought they would. The other died. Which do you suppose was which? It was the 20-mile march people. The 20-mile march people said, we're going to do this every day. I have a friend who sold insurance for 30-plus years. His deal was every day I sell an insurance policy, and I don't go home until I do. He retired as one of the, if not the biggest insurance agent in Billings. What is that? It's the 20-mile march. It's this, no, 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 we can do this. See, here's what I didn't have any appreciation for uh, when I left Billings. I had no appreciation for the fact that despite the fact that I showed up to Faith Chapel in the mid-1990s and experienced some of the best leadership I've ever seen and some of the best preaching I've ever seen and some of the best music and the best guest services and all of it, kids ministry, all of it, what I had no appreciation for was that this church had been at it for about 30 years. That, that, he, that Stan, and you'll hear him in November, he, he, he is the best of the best of the best, that he had been honing his skill and his craft for decades. I had no appreciation for the fact that 20 years ago, they were a tiny church, that they were just slowly getting better. What I had no appreciation for when I walked into Faith E and experienced the student ministry was, was I, I quickly got the impression that all you have to do is say you have free little Caesars and soda and stir, stir the lemonade with your arm in the got pot and kids will show up, students will show up. What I didn't appreciate was the fact that, yeah, uh, it was incredibly successful, but you know something? Vern was in his 10th year. And his first year didn't look like this. And not only that, Vern was standing on the shoulders of people who had gone before him. That that church, Faith E, way before most churches were saying, hey, we're going to prioritize student ministry, 30 years ago they had said, hey, we should start prioritizing junior high and high school students. That he was standing on the shoulders of youth pastors, who stood on the shoulders of youth pastors, that it went back a long ways. That his leaders were incredible. But you know something? 
they too had been on their own long, arduous journeys. When I left Faith E, I fully thought that any idiot could make a really big youth group. And I learned the hard way that the opposite's true. In fact, Caleb and I had a great conversation with a friend this year regarding some high school stuff. And I was so proud of him when, when essentially what he looked at this guy and said is, listen, I understand you can be excited to lead fifty high, a Bible study for 50 high school students. But can you be just as excited to lead one with four? Because that's what it's going to take. When I, when I left Harvest, I had this glimpse of church planning that was so unrealistic because what Harvest experienced was such an anomaly in so many ways. But there again, I mean, the, the naivety in me was, is now so apparent. Vern had been leading in that community for 10 years. He himself had been, had been a part of that community since he was born. He, had, he was near 40 years old when he started. His team of people, they'd been at it for a long time. The church where they started from was five miles in the other direction. People just had to choose which way to point their car in the morning. That, that, that the staff had, had been built into. That there was a church in Harvest in the, 60s and, or in the Heights in the 60s and 70s called Hawthorne. And they closed their doors because it was a dying congregation. And that there had literally been these elderly women for the last 20 years who had money in a bank account and had been praying for what would be the next church God would bring to the Billings Heights. See, it wasn't a like, boom, instant easy success. It too was the product of a grind, of what some call grit, of what those of you who understand things like retirement, you call compound interest. And anybody who understands finances and math on that level will tell you compound interest at the risk of being sacrilegious is the most powerful force in the world. But it doesn't translate overnight. It doesn't even translate in a year. And I think for so many of us, we get caught up in wanting a certain type of marriage and wanting a certain type of career and wanting a certain type of spiritual life. But the question becomes, does it translate to our daily? Does it translate to the agenda one, one rather famous philosopher said it this way. Go ahead, Jamie. He says this, What is essential in heaven and earth seems to be that there is obedience in a single direction over a long period of time. But you know something? You don't sell books and you don't fill chairs and you don't uh, get real popular telling people that the way to success will take them about 20 years. I was listening to a podcast recently where a gal who is this very accomplished author now that the, the, yeah, the whatever that's great and all, but what does this have to do with preaching God's word? You're not trying to become popular selling books and stuff that the world wants to consume. Who cares? You have a Bible to preach. The, the, the closing question was, okay, so how'd you do it? And she laughed with this almost sinister laugh. And she said, how'd I do it? I've been doing it for 20 years. That's the answer. And I was hungry for a long time, was the implied part of it. You know, my last conversation with Vern, I was in my office. It's it's the only memory I have of him being in my office. I was sitting at my high table. He was leaning against my my bookshelf over to my left. And uh, we were talking about this. We were talking about Narrate. Now, at the time, I was newly enrolled in grad school, and, and my friend Brian was at Journey, was giving me so much confidence. And I don't even remember the topic of the conversation, but I'm sure it was full of arrogance and egotism and um, all, all kinds of superficial types of things. And, and what I was basically telling him was, you don't know what you're doing. We're going to kick butt in Helena. And he, Harvest was in this season, and, and I don't want to get too much into Billings' context, but 
Vernon made a decision that he felt like God was asking Harvest to build a swimming pool for their community. It's something that had been voted no on several times. And so he just had this moment where he went like, Lord, we're going to build the pool. And, 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 and that sounded fun at the front end. But as a person that was on staff during that season, it was arduous. Did a capital campaign for it. About 50% of the capital campaign actually came in. So they were doing a second capital campaign for it. Major families were leaving the church. I mean, there wasn't a split, but there, it was a major issue of, of contention within the culture of harvest. Even today, you go to Billings and talk with these people, and some people hate the pool, and others fully embrace the pool. It's in the ground now, by the way. They'll do their baptism service at it today, by the way. Anyway, we were in my office, and that was Vern's context. And I must have been talking about narrate vision. And he said, Adam... And I looked over at him, and neither Vern and I are, are real touchy-feely people. But I looked at him, and his eyes were glossy. He wasn't crying, but, but it was apparent that he could if he wanted to. He said, Adam, don't ever forget that vision is cheap. That you don't even have to get out of the bed to have vision. Like the- Yeah, you know, personal anecdote stories are cheap. God's word is eternal. Why don't you preach that? That's the easy part. But the hard part, the hard part is the fleshing it out. The hard part is, is pulling yourself through it. The hard part is the daily. Now, it's Vision Weekend, so let's just kind of touch on a couple of areas. where Because, where see, here, here's the bottom line as I go. I see evidence of this principle all over our life together. In fact, uh, the, the first year we were here, we said, we want to matter. We want to serve this community. What would that look like? How can we do that? And I got a meeting with uh, who's now a friend, Amy Teagarden from the city parks, and said, hey, how, how can we help? And she looked at me like, I, I don't know. And I now can appreciate the apprehension she had with the church going, how can we help and not knowing our agenda? And so I was back on the street. And a couple months later, I still remember where I was, where I was on a run. And I looked up at all the pine beetle kill on Mount Helen. And I thought, well, man, how could they argue with our desire to help with this? This is everybody's problem. It's, it's the whole community's problem because it's a fire hazard. Maybe we can help with this. And so I got another meeting. And I said, hey, can we help with the firewood? And she said, yeah, sure. And she took a risk on us. And she introduced us to a guy named Brad who manages the open lands. And he said, well, I've had this idea that rather than just waste all this firewood, we could split it and distribute it to families who could use the economic assistance heat in their homes. And so that winter, we split, what, 18 cords of firewood. Nothing all that dramatic. It was fun, but it was 18 cords of firewood. Next winter, uh, I think we split 50 or so cords of firewood. We're taking it to Liap Yard and having a blast doing it, and, and then people would come pick it up at Liap. Last year, we think that we split 100 cords of firewood. And last year, Brad set us up a little bit differently, and he set us up at this barn at this one particular spot. But then last year, we started to notice that the distribution system was broken, that Liep had changed some of their funding and staffing priorities, and so they weren't distributing it so, as, as quickly. And so Sarah had this idea of going, hey, let's experiment. Maybe we could distribute, like not take it to people's door, but maybe we could show up on a Saturday morning and call the client list and say, hey, come pick up your firewood. And it worked. And so this last summer... Uh, Brad and Sarah worked out this deal where now that Liep has lost their yard, they don't even have the yard to deal with anymore. It's, it's narrates responsibility. And the goal this year is we'll split about 50 cords in October, and then we'll split it 50 cords again in January, and then one Saturday a month in between. And after. Yeah, huzzah and all, but um, again, what does this have to do with God's word? After, we're just going to show up. It takes about 45 minutes, and the 20 or 30 or however many people want firewood will show up, and we'll put it in their, the trunk of their cougar or whatever it is, and, and on their way, they'll go. And see, it, it strikes me that it would have been so easy to go, no, 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 we, we, we don't want to split 16 cords of firewood. But it's, it's been a grind 
to build the trust, to get to the place where, where we can actually contribute on a much bigger level. Uh, the, the other example for, for me is the, this, this funny thing called an Easter egg hunt. I, I came from a church where we did this gigantic Easter egg hunt, and I had no desire to do an Easter egg hunt. It just, for, for, I don't know, I just didn't, we didn't have any desire. And then this church, or this, excuse me, this, this retirement home called us up and said, hey, we're trying to start an Easter egg hunt that would get the families of our residents to the Easter egg hunt so that they could kind of interact a little. Would you help us? And we said, yeah, sure, that's what we're about. We love to help people. And so that's been three years running. Well, last year, I'll never forget a friend of mine coming up to me after it was all over. And she said, well, that was a disaster because <laughs> there was just too many people. Uh, it, it, it just between you all and your connections and your families and them and their connections and their family, it was just too many people. And so last year it became apparent like, no, I, well, I think we helped them get their thing started. And I'll still remember setting out eggs with my friend Marvin when I thought, you know what? I said, we, we, we should do an Easter egg hunt on Mount Helena next year. And it was just like, that is the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard. And I literally texted Amy Teagarden, hey, next year, Easter egg hunt on Mount Helena. And a couple, uh, I suppose it was a few weeks later, I had a meeting with her and, and she said, Adam, we're, we're in. I talked to the city manager. He loves the idea. In fact, not only can you do an Easter egg hunt on Mount Helena, the city's going to sponsor this with you. It's not about bragging. It's, it's about the daily leading to the dream. We see it also. It's Vision Weekend, so we're going to give you a couple numbers. And-, and how many people have been brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins? Yeah, I, I'm glad that you did an Easter egg hunt on Mount Helena. I mean, huzzah, yay. What is this? And those of you that vomit over such things, I'm sorry, just swallow it and we'll move on quickly. But uh, so we, we certainly see it in our attendance. Here, here just, we just wanted to show you a graph. Of course, the blue being our first year and the purple being our last year. And so you can, you can see, like, uh, we, we've never blown up. And yet every year, we, we, we seem to grow more. In fact, that gets me to that card in front of you. Part of what we're realizing is we've got to figure out how are we going to accommodate a growing group of people. So this isn't overnight. Nobody panic. But would everybody grab one of those cards? What would be really helpful for us is if we take about 30 seconds, and I'm going to ask everyone to fill one of those things out. Now, the the age and some of that stuff is self-explanatory. This circle, everything that applies to you. If you want to be 20, but you're not, you can circle 20, whatever. But when we get to those bottom two options, are you with me? Are you looking at those bottom two options? Here's what we want to know. We, we realize that in the next year, we're going to have to create more seats on Sunday mornings. We're exploring lots of ways to do that. The, the council feels like, though, first and foremost, we need to explore whether or not adding a third service is an option. We know that Sunday night's not an option here. We know Saturday night's not an option here. We've been, we've been on this for six months. What would be helpful to me is if you would just rank one, two, and three in each of the separate options. So treat them as separate things. One being like, that would be my first option. Two being that would be my second option. Three being that would be my third option. And X would be, uh, hell no, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't go to church then. <laughs> no way. So if 830 is that or noon is that, oops, so does that make sense? One, two, three, or X. Or if you're like, I will only go to church at 9 o'clock, then just put one and nine and two X's. We should have had some Jeopardy music or something. <laughs> so that... I'll trust you to navigate your way through that. We're going to take offering here uh, when the band gets back up here, and you can just throw that back in the bag. Uh, and you expect them to pay to not hear God's word at church. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Uh, while you're doing that, I'm going to also show you a, a giving slide. <laughs> we also see this in our giving which raises the question, wow, does Narrate have any quarterly givers? <laughs> I think so. 
It seems like that might be the case. Uh, proud to say to you that, that once again this year that we were in the black. We were a church that uh, did not bleed any money. And in fact, we're working hard on building some reserve because when we plan a church, we're going to do it with cash. And when an opportunity comes along and it's like, hit it now, but it's going to cost 50 grand, we're going to have the, the money on hand. And when we go like, hey, we got to add a third service and that's going to take some money for some gear, we're, the, the, the council's really trying to be responsible on that end. So for those of you that are part of that and taking what God gives you and entrusting your kingdom investment around here, uh, thank you. But what I really... How can it be a kingdom investment when you don't preach God's word? What I really want to focus on this morning is you. Like, how about, how about you? What would it look like for, for you to translate this into your life? You know, if, if you're 20 or 30-something, you know what sociologists tell us about us? They tell us that we are the most entitled people to ever walk the planet. You know what entitled means? Among other things, it means that, that because you want it, you think you should get it. That's what entitled means. I want it, therefore I should have it. I want it, therefore why do I have to work for it? See, see, see the, the, the bad news for, for those of us uh, that are 20-something is, is we want to accomplish way more in the short term than our 30 and, or 40 and 50 and 60-somethings friends would tell us is even realistic. And some of you are here and, and, and you're thinking about ending a relationship some of you are here and you're so depressed about where your career is at, so depressed about where your finances are at, so depressed about where your relationship with Jesus is at. And the reality is you're wanting too much too fast. Listen, it took you 25 years to learn how to not follow Jesus. To think that you're going to learn how to follow him in these splendid, healthy ways in, in 25 days is just unrealistic. So maybe you don't have to be so depressed. Maybe you don't have to be so down. Like maybe you're going like, man, I thought I would own a house by now. Man, I thought I'd have my house paid off by now. Now I thought I would know what I was going to do with my life. I thought I'd have my degree by now. I thought I'd be married by now. Maybe you're just a victim of your own entitlement. And maybe the handle is you're on the right course. You're just wanting it too soon, too fast. See, see, the bad news is uh, that, that they tell us that us 20 and 30-somethings, we overestimate what we can accomplish in the short term. But here's the good news. They also tell us that we underestimate what we can accomplish in the long term. See, what you're guilty of is thinking that if you haven't accomplished it by the time you're 40, you'll never... Yeah, that's great that the experts say that, but what does God's Word say again? You might want to preach something from there, you know, in context, you know. I haven't learned anything about Jesus. Never accomplish it. Well, you're guilty of us thinking if, if, you don't, if you don't have the degree by the time you're 24, then somehow you've, you've missed the boat. Maybe for you this morning is the realization of, wait a minute, I'm on the right course. Or I need to create a couple course corrections, but we're going to be okay. And for the rest of you who are in that 40 and 50 and beyond and 60 beyond category, here's what they tell us about you. They tell us that you so buy into the entitlement mentality, that you so buy into what our culture says about the value of youth, that you assume that because you're 40 and 50 and 60 and 70, you have nothing to contribute. And I'm here to tell you as a guy who sit across, sits across from young couples and young people day after day after day, that young marriages and young parents and young churches are so desperate for your wisdom. And yeah, you've got baggage, 
but everybody has baggage when they're your age. Yeah, you've, you've got stories that you're not proud of, but that's not the point. Yeah, isn't the point Jesus has shed blood on the cross? We need you to engage. Around here, yes, but in the community. Read the Bible, and what you'll see is not very many young people accomplish very much. There are some. Yeah, what are you talking about again? I mean, is the Bible full of stories about people who accomplish things? You know, young and old, and it's about them having a dream and then taking diligent steps day by day to accomplish those? That's what the Bible's about? I thought it was about Christ rescuing us. And because we're a culture that that worships youth, we really gravitate to them. But Moses was in his 80s. Abraham, older than that. We need you to engage. And I think the challenge for you would be, what would it look like for you to establish your own rule of five? The rule of five simply says this, that if there's a tree in your backyard and you want to chop it down and you commit to hitting that tree every day with an ax five times, what's eventually going to happen? The tree's going to fall. Uh-huh. And where in the Bible is the principle of five taught? It's not if, it's, it's when. And when factors in things like the size of your bicep and your talent level and all those different things. No one's saying that we're all dealing with the same stack of cards. I think for you, the question and the thing that I've so been like, no, I want to take Vision Weekend in a little different direction this weekend would be, what's the rule of five for you? What are those five things that you need to do every day to accomplish the goals that you have for your marriage, for your relationship with Christ, for your physical health, for your career? I I don't know. Maybe even have categorical ones. Mine are kind of messy. I've got five or six. And where it's helped me of late is, is, you know what's not on there? Watching Peyton Manning. But that's okay. It doesn't mean I can't watch him. It just means what I run through the grid in my head is, well, have I knocked out my rule of five today? Because unless I have, then, 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 I, then I shouldn't be watching this game. You know what's not on there is going to the Blackfoot and enjoying a good beer? Yeah, apparently what's not on there is, you know, going to church on a Sunday, opening up God's word and exegeting it in context and telling people about Christ from every passage of Scripture. That's not in there either. It might take more than a rule of five, you know. Not the end of the world. Okay thing to do. But if I'm not careful, it becomes on my rule of five rather than comes after it's been accomplished. In fact, you have a rule of five. The question isn't if you have one. The question is what's on the list. And is what's on the list really translate to to where you want to be? So you, you, you have a direction and you're pointed to a destination and it's found in your daily habits. Let me just close with this chunk from Galatians. Well, we're going to get a little bit of Galatians here at the end, which is an epistle written against the Galatian heresy, not uh, about achieving your dreams and visions. Six. Paul says, and I I found this to be so encouraging over the last few months. He says, let us... I'm sure you did. ...not become weary in doing good. Yeah. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Talking about our faith. You could chart that as there being four responsibilities in that verse. Galatians is not about how to achieve your dreams. Two of them belong to God. The harvest and the size of the harvest, that's, as we say, God's gig. Your responsibility is to keep doing good, to keep doing the right thing, and to stay encouraged. And what about when I don't? What do I do then? 
what, what, as a Christian, how do I deal with that? Just try harder? To stay motivated. All right, that was the end of it. All law, no gospel. And not only that, it was, it was like just philosophy and business gurus and the, the, the principle of five and all this. This isn't Christian sanctification. That wasn't a Christian sermon. It was sprinkled with a little bit of verses out of context. And any time he would describe a Jesus story, he couldn't even tell you what was really going on. You check the context and what was really going on isn't what he said. Yeah, he needs to apply himself diligently to actually studying and learning and preaching God's word and Christ and him crucified for our sins. What has happened to the church? It has been swamped with nonsense rather than the gospel. Not good. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.